Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the 66th episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I am your host, Chris Blessing. We're recording on Wednesday this week due to some scheduling conflicts with me coming back from a work conference and then vacation after that, uh, while also trying to line up my schedule with the schedule of today's guest. Uh, today's guest is our most frequent guest on this show. As long as I have uh, this podcast at my disposal, I'll be booking this guest at least two times a season. He is on the minor league and Cape Cod beat for Baseball America. He is a prospect writer and now a BBWAA member. Please welcome Jeff Ponce to the show. Jeff, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. Not too bad. You know, uh, doing sort of my uh, doing my thing here, and uh, you know, just been working Cape Cod League beat, etc. I was going to ask that next. What have you been up to in Cape Cod? You know, I, I kind of knew that's what you were doing. Uh, so that's awesome that that you've uh, brought that up before I even asked. Um, last year when you were on the show. Uh, I had you kind of go through like a little bit of a recap of what the Cape Cod League was. Uh, I know that we have some eyes have it uh, listeners that who don't really pay attention to the pre-draft uh, stuff. Uh, would you be kind enough to kind of give us a rundown of what the Cape Cod League is? Sure. So uh, that's a it's a it's a summer wooden bat league. Um that you know features some of the best college players in the country. Um, you know, outside of the guys that go to the collegiate national team. Um, so it's an opportunity. There's ten teams. It's an opportunity for scouts, executives, you know, recruiters for colleges. Now that the transfer portal was such a big part of the summer, uh, to get a look at a lot of these guys, um, in particular, hitting with wood against other high-level competition. Um, and, you know, you'll see players from all five power conferences, mid-majors, JUCOs, Division II, Division III players. Um, and it's a place where guys get, you know, rep and opportunity, particularly at smaller schools or guys who might have had an injury or just maybe struggled during a particular point in their season. Um, so it's, you know, historically been around for 100 years now, been a major component of the MLB draft for, you know, more longer than our lifetimes um yes. but it's become you know bigger over the last i'd say 25 to 30 years um you know it's different now than it's been in previous years just because of you know the transfer portal and usa collegiate national team and some of those things um but it's still a great place to see uh you know a ton of of really talented players in one single spot yeah um for our listeners uh summer catch the movie was kind of loosely based on a love story that happened during the Cape Cod League. Uh, not, it was a fictional story, but uh, I think the cool part about that is you get to, uh, even though the movie wasn't the greatest movie, although Jessica Biel was in it, um, I I will say you get a 
you get a sense of what what that league is is about. It's a bunch of college kids. Um, it's 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 a league that I want to get to, and I want to get to soon. Hopefully, uh, one of my next vacations is going to the Cape Cod League, uh, and maybe be able to write it off too by covering some guys. Um, well, we'll start by running down some of the prospects you covered on the Cape Cod uh, in the Cape Cod League this summer, and the first group of prospects are guys that were pre-draft uh uh there's uh, because the draft has been moved forward um or moved back i guess would be the right term to july uh the cape cod league is a showcase for some guys uh, last year cam collier who's drafted in the first round was there i know you got to see him there because we talked about it on the show but this year uh you brought three guys to the show we'll start out with the first one which is a right-handed pitcher drafted in the fourth round uh, by the Red Sox out of, I'm going to say this right, Canisius? Uh, yes. Yes. Pronounce that I right. It's Canisius in, uh, yeah. in, in upstate New York. I think it's outside of Boston. Yeah, upstate New wow. York. Yep. Uh, and it's Matt mm-hmm. Duffy, right? Yeah. Yes. He was a fourth rounder by the Red Sox. Sort of a change up first, control left hander. It's not super loud stuff, um, but did get a pretty good look on him. You know, it was like, we'll say 89 to 92. Um, mixed in an okay slider has a really good change up. Um, but it's, you know, his advanced feel for his entire arsenal. Um, I know the Red Sox are really high on him. Not really one of my sort of style of guys, but, um, you know, lefties like this that can throw strikes that do have a primary pitch and it being a change up isn't much of a concern as a left hander as it would be if he's a righty. So, um, you know, just a, just a matter of, uh, seeing what development comes in the last couple of years, excuse me, in, uh, in the next couple of years, the thing is like the Red Sox have had pretty good luck with guys like this, Shane Drohan, um, you know, Isaac Coffey's another one who's really performed really well this year has, has been up in double a, um, who's more of this like sinker change up sort of type. So, um, it's an interesting profile for them because they've had some success with these type of guys. Um, not somebody I would be beating down the door to like add in a fantasy league or something like that, or rank highly on my FYPD, but more an interesting arm that's maybe worth, uh, being aware of and somebody that I got some looks on prior to the draft. Go ahead and move over to the Mariners organization. You actually saw two of their draftees during, uh, prior to the draft in the Cape Cod league. The first one's a third baseman out of William and Mary, and that's, uh, uh, Ben Williamson. Can you tell us what you uh, saw with him? Yeah, so Williamson was a guy that um, popped on some models and data-wise, you know, from a smaller um, school, of course, you know, William and Mary is very much a mid-major, um, not necessarily like a power mid-major either, um, but he looked great, and, you know, the the body is really good, he was a third baseman, they had him out in the outfield, so, you know, playing out of position, he made some great plays out there in the corners. Um, the arm is pretty good. And I really like the swing. Um, I think there's power there. There's approach. There's contact. I know that there were some high-level people uh, within the game that, you know, were hoping that he would drop to their teens in the third round, uh, end up going under slot and second to the Mariners, which I think was a, a really good pick. Um, you know, Williamson probably allowed them to overslot some other guys in the draft, though I know that they left a ton of money on the table, actually. I think they had one of the teams that had $300,000-plus left on the table. Wow. So, yeah, it was them and the Pirates. Um, and actually, because they could have gone 5% over their bonus slot, I believe the Pirates could have gone to seven figures 
over their bonus. So wow. Um, yeah, they left a lot on the table. It's crazy to think they could have pulled maybe somebody else even if they wanted to. So um, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that Williamson was maybe one of the steals of day one, and uh, a guy because he's a senior and it was a smaller school, maybe has a little bit more doubt on him. But everybody that's seen him and played against him and with him has really high opinions of him, and and I sort of share that uh, as well. I, I looked at him very briefly when when you sent this over uh, during my lunch break today, and uh, you know the the dude at least in the highlight package I saw was was getting to contact, uh, uh, getting to hard contact, I should say, fairly fairly frequently in in the little look. Granted, it was a college look at a small level, so you know there's always that. But uh, you know the Mariners' model is. Uh, has produced these sort of uh, guys in the past. Uh, so it's, it's good to see that, uh, you know, there's sometimes I'll weigh a draft pick like this a little heavier because uh, of the team that drafted them. And I, I feel like the Mariners are one of those teams where it seems like their collegiate model, uh, especially within the first 10 rounds, seems to pick up some guys like this. Uh, fifth round, Wichita State uh, alum Brock Roden. Uh, I guess he's an infielder for the Mar- uh, for the Mariners now. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, kind of plays a little bit around the infield. I don't know if he's a shortstop. Probably a pretty good second baseman. Um, you know, really interesting offensive player as he hit for more power than I think if he got a look on him than what you would have anticipated. Um, you know, switch hitter, not a huge guy. He's listed 5'9", 170. That's probably about accurate. Maybe it's 5'8". Um, so not huge, um, but, you know, can play multiple positions in the infield. Um, you know, at Wichita State this year, over 55 games, I think he had 16 or 17 home runs, you know, hit just below 400 on-base percentage is just under 500. Um, I think his slug was around 700, if not over. Um, he had a tremendous season. Um, can run a little bit too, like not a super, super burner, but definitely can run. There's, you know, some field to hit, et cetera. A smaller school, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a really interested player. He was drafted in the 10th round last year by the Athletics, went back to school and, you know, ended up signing. Um, you know, in the fifth round with the Mariners. I guess I'm talking a lot of Mariners prospects today, but yeah, it's not necessarily intentional. Um, and it was a Juco guy for his first couple of years of college. So kind of an interesting background, um, but another player that I had a good look on. So I feel pretty confident in sort of summarizing what he does well, and et cetera. That's awesome. It's always fun uh, breaking down uh, these guys that come from the drafts that are outside those first uh, two rounds. We'll move on to some future guys now. Uh, these are guys that are currently uh, playing the Cape Cod League now, right? Yeah, those are guys. These are yes. guys who are active right now. Twenty twenty fours, twenty fives, etc. Okay. First guy on the list is a infielder from Oregon State, and that is Travis uh, Bazanza. Bazana. 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 Like banana. Yeah, remember this Bazana. name, Chris, because I think I think Bazana has one one potential next year. Um it's oh, a pretty wow. down it's a pretty down class, pretty bad it is. prep class. Um I do think the bats this year are pretty good. Um I do think that a lot of there's a lot of college bats. I I, I maybe that's a demographic that isn't getting as hyped up as it maybe should. 
So the guys like Nick Kurtz, you know, Vance Honeycutt, both players are not here in the Cape Cod League. Mazzana could not play for the uh, collegiate national team because Travis Mazzana is Australian. Uh, graduated from high school in 2020, came over here, uh, matriculated to Oregon State in 2022. Um, would have been draft eligible this year had they not pushed the eligibility date back to August 1st. Um, you know, he's, I think, the 26th or 25th or 26th of August is his birthday. So just missed being draft eligible this year. Um, would have been a first rounder, I think, this year as well. And potentially could go top five, 10 next year, maybe one, one, um, tremendous kid. Um, you know, I've been around him a little bit, had an opportunity to chat with him a lot and know a lot of people that know him, played with him, have coached him. Um, unbelievably talented, you know, in terms of bat to ball skills, it's easy plus, maybe plus plus approaches plus plus. He didn't go to the Cape last year. He went to driveline, really built up his bat speed, added power and impact. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's plus an impact, but it's probably average, which if you have, you know, plus plate skills, plus contact with plus plus discipline and it's average power, pretty good. Um, yes. I also think he's a guy, you know, he's about six feet tall, um, definitely a projectable body. He's ripped, you know, just just shredded, puts in insane work, um, probably one of the most advanced baseball minds I've ever had an opportunity to speak with on the player side. Nice. Definitely the most advanced mind I've spoken with on an amateur player. Um, he's just it's it's I've I've described it this way before. And I don't think it's inaccurate. It's it's Tom Brady type of makeup. Like this is somebody that's going to wow. do everything that they possibly can to play at the highest possible level they can for as long as they possibly can. And it's not hyperbole. I mean, when he tests out in terms of athletic testing, um, you know, it's load and score that my 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 uh, co-host on one of my podcasts, Matt Pajak, you know, runs load and sports and um you know, does athletic testing for a job and, you know, an eight or a nine is really good. A 10 is like a crazy outlier. He was a load in 11. Um, so his athleticism mm. is absurd. And these athletic tests or jump tests and run tests, they don't take very long. They actually have an app that you can use these, this in your phone and do your own athletic testing and get scores back. Um, but, you know, this is a guy that has untapped potential i think still there as well especially as he grows and just an unbelievable kid somebody who embraces you know all the tasks of being out here in the cape cod league um all the community events the kids stuff um told one story where you know he guys usually show up you know when they're like team stuff and shorts like their pre-game workout gear he got dressed up to go to a community event like it's just like how he is how he's wired he's just very different from any other player that i've been around and um I know this sounds probably somewhat hyperbolic, but I, I do think that this guy has you know, legitimate star potential um, and could be a difference maker for a team just just because of the kind of individual he is. And I don't think he's I don't think he's capped physically based on the athleticism. And then he's got plate skills. So it's like, really, what's what's the flaw? He's playing second base. He throws from like a sidearm slot. It's kind of a weird arm action, but he's a good defensive second baseman. I think he should be playing short right now in the Cape. Um, we'll see if that comes to fruition over the final couple of weeks, but 
really talented player. And I mean, it's the kind of guy where he went three for five for four in a game, hit multiple balls over hundred miles an hour. He got rung up on a ball in his first at bat. That was two balls off the plate per trackman. Um, it was a really bad call by the umpire. You know, I go and chat with him after the game and I'm like, Hey, Travis, like that ball was like two, two balls off the plate. He's like, Oh, I know. I know. So I'll never swing at that. So I'm just, you know, that's just not, I'm not going to do an Australian accent, unfortunately, but he's like, <laughs> he's like, I, I'm just, I'm never going to swing at that. Like, that's not a pitch that I'm ever going to swing at. And I'm going to stay in my approach. I think it's right. Then I was talking about a triple that he hit. He hit a triple. I thought he actually launched it for a homer and ended up being a triple. Um, and I'm talking to him about it. I was like, yeah, it was 101, it was 102 off the bat. And he was like, yeah, I don't know if I've gotten weaker. He's like, because I feel like if I hit that during the spring, that ball's over the fence and it's like 105, 106. Um, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, dude, it was the hardest hit ball all day and the hardest hit ball I've seen in three days in the Cape. <laughs> so like, what are we talking about here? You know, like, so it's just, it's somebody that holds himself to a really high standard. And um, I can't speak highly uh, enough about Travis. That's awesome. That's a great report. Um, moving on to the next dude. Uh, it's a guy that I've followed this year uh, at Florida state um, kind of came into his own and that's uh, Cam Smith. Uh, what's your, what's your thoughts on him? So Smith is somebody that I think started out like gangbusters. And as that FSU team started to sort of drag, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was a tough season there, obviously in Tallahassee. Um, he started drag a little bit too. Um, first few weeks of the, the Cape, he was a little bit off. So we're going to miss him a bit. And then he just came on and, you know, we do a hot sheet for the Cape league every week. And I think didn't make, he didn't make weeks one and two, but his made was, First in week three, second in week four, third in week five. And that's on an individual seven-day window that we're looking at there. So he's had three consecutive weeks where he's been tremendous. I think he hit third for the West All-Stars, um, you know, st starting lineup uh, on Saturday in the Cape Cod League All-Star game. He's a big guy. I want to say 6'3", six, 6'4", six, strong. Um, it's not a bad body at all. Uh and he's cut down on the whips. I mean, I, I think a couple of weeks ago or last last week in week five, he had, I believe it was five or six extra base hits and only one strikeout over six or seven games. Um, walks, you know, there's tools there as well. And it's a big league body already. I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, eye test getting off the bus. Cam Smith sticks out to you. Um, yeah. Another really talented player. Um, I would say that. You know, right now, if we're looking at the best pro prospects in the Cape Cod League, it's been Bazana and Smith. Interesting. Um, the third guy is another guy that's been uh, fairly high in uh, 2024 draft rankings. That's a shortstop uh, who was at Wingate and is now at Wake Forest. And the guy that I don't really know much about, um, unlike those last two. Uh, can you tell us about Seaver King? Sure. So yeah, he was, uh, Wingate, I believe is division two. Um, yes. So he transferred really early in the portal because their season was over earlier when your season ends, you can enter the portal. He enters the portal, signs on with Wake Forest. Um, went to the, got a collegiate national team invite. It's a really talented bat. There's contact approach, there's power, there's some speed plays in the dirt. You know, another player that I think is, Super talented. He wasn't here as long because he did go to the collegiate national team and then left after the Cape Cod League All-Star game. 
Um, but King is one that I think is going to pop this year and, you know, could be another guy that ends up as a, a top 10 pick potentially next July. Um, really talented player. Didn't get as many looks as I've gotten on, on Smith or Bazzano, but another guy that you definitely want to know. Um, and with, you know, Wake Forest losing a couple of really good players this year, I think he's going to help with a little bit of that backfill as they're competitive again next season. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the Baseball America Top 100 draft prospects for 2024. And you, can, you can definitely see the drop-off uh, from this year. Obviously, this was uh, fairly historic with those uh, first five picks. Um, and you already have said that, that hitting is more of a um, strength of this draft. Um, mm-hmm. Of everybody that you've seen, I'm throwing this out there, um, you, you've already said that uh, you believe Travis uh, is going to possibly be the, the one one. Is there any surprise prospect that you saw uh, seen so far that might not be in the top 100 ranking uh, at the Cape Cod league? I'm putting you on the spot here. Ooh. Yeah. I, and, and the funny thing is I haven't looked at, I'd have to look at the Cape Cod league. Rankings again. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to look at the, uh, the top 100 again. Cause that's, that's Ben Badler and Carlos. I don't have any input on that really whatsoever. Okay. Um, I would say one guy who stuck out to me is um, Cameron Hill from Georgia Tech, a uh, big, tall Ooh. left-hander. Cameron Hill has dominated here in the Cape, man. I think the ERA, I believe he pitches today, so hopefully I'm not, I'm not uh, cursing him. He started the game for the West All-Stars. Um, he was 6'6", uh, very projectable lefty, super athletic. Um, yeah, over 31 innings, which is a full summer on the Cape, like very much a full summer on the Cape. Um, and 10 different appearances, he has allowed a whopping total of three earned runs, three runs, um, walked 15 batters to 43 strikeouts. Um, so, you know, command can still improve, obviously didn't, you know, he got blowed up at Georgia Tech as a lot. <laughs> These pitchers have over the last couple of years, man, you know, with the offensive environment in college baseball, it's tough to look at the numbers and know how good a guy is, but he's been awesome here. Um, fastball is like one to three, he'll touch a five or six, but less frequently really, really tough angle, you know, lower slot, left-hander, good slider, good changeup. He'll mix all three pitches. He'll throw them for strikes. He gets swings and misses. I think I have a full start up there, um, from maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, maybe even a month ago now, um, that's up on my Twitter. So it's, and it's Cameron, like Cameron, the rapper, C-A-M-R-O-N. So Cam Ron, but it's Cameron Hill. Um, so yeah, check him out. He's a uh, he's a really interesting arm. I don't think he's on our 100. I I would garner that he probably wouldn't be. Um, but he's had a tremendous summer, and you know, typically the guys who pitch well here, um, and come away with you know a good summer, uh, number wise and performance wise usually raises their stock quite a bit and you know you'll see those guys go fairly high in the draft you know so um definitely a name i would keep an eye out for i can't say he's a day one guy um might be more like mid day two at this point but you know we'll see things obviously progress it's it's a complete transformation i i saw him pitching for whitewater i think that's what the school was the high school at a uh complex event uh here in georgia I want to say 20, it was, it was cause we are all still wearing masks. So it was 2021. Uh, yep. And the dude was just this very skinny gangly guy. I'm going through my little scouting notebook that I, that I have always by me. 
And like, it, it, he's probably 50 pounds heavier now. And that was in 2021. Um, he's, he looks he looks like a completely different guy, but a, any guy that I see a D one, uh, a D one behind that's a, in the draft year, I'll, I'll watch even if I'm not technically assigned to the guy. And uh, I, I just wrote that he was gangly uh, and, and very long and, uh, you know, was going to Georgia Tech. So it's pretty amazing uh, to, to see that he's now, what, uh, it listed at 215 or 220, something like that. Like, that's not the kid that I saw. So that's awesome. Um, great time. Let's take a break before we talk about the minor league players. Jeff has run down recently by hearing what PD has cooking on the latest episode of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Eyes Have It listeners, PD here from the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. This week's pod is another great Friday Full Edition featuring an expert interview with Rob McCabe, a fantasy baseball researcher who specializes in fab analysis. Rob and I will talk about the volatility and movement in the overall standings in NFBC leagues. Then we dig deep into his fab research, including strategies, churning and burning, fab efficiency, and bang for the fab buck. And of course, he'll have some boons and banes for this weekend. Plus all the usual great stuff, news analysis with Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com and our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's fabbing with Rob McCabe. Available now on this week's Friday Full Edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and I sure hope you'll join us. Thank you, PD. Don't forget to tune in to the award-winning Baseball HQ Radio through your favorite podcaster, or log on to BaseballHQ.com and look for the Baseball HQ Radio widget, which is right next to our widget. Um, It's also a great time, too, to let our listeners know that Registration is open for the 28th annual First Pitch Arizona, November 2nd through 5th at the Sheridan Mesa of Wrigleyville, which is right next to Sloan Park, home of the Mesa Solar Sox at the Arizona Fall League. And also this year, once again, like last year, the home to the Fall Stars game. Uh, it's a great weekend packed full of fantasy baseball seminars, scouting, socializing with some of the most recognizable fantasy baseball personalities from a variety of websites last year, including Baseball America's Jeff Potts. Uh, we have special pricing available through July 31st. Our current special is $379 for registration. Uh, prices will go up by the next time, well, the day that we record our next one, which is July 31st. So you want to make sure you get uh, get there through July 31st at that price. Uh, moving on to some guys who might actually be in the fall league this year. Uh, we're going to start with uh, two Colorado Rockies prospects. Uh, uh, one guy that uh, starred at Tennessee, his name's Jordan Beck. And then uh, another one that I was actually put onto by Jeff Ponce, and that's uh, Yanquil uh, Fernandez. Uh, we'll start with Beck. What's your thoughts? Yeah, man. So I saw Beck uh, for the first time since he was out here on the Cape League back in 2021. I didn't love it when he was out here. Um, I just had a lot of questions as to how much he was going to hit. There were some things about, you know, the load, um, kind of a lot of moving parts at that point. And just the impact was there. You saw it in BP that there was plus power. But I was like, is this guy going to get to it? And 
you know, he had a tremendous season, um, you know, the following year or, or a good season. Obviously, there were some some hiccups like he got caught with a, an illegal bat or what they thought was there was an issue with the sticker in the Vanderbilt game, yada, yada, yada. But ends up going to, the, you know, the Rockies, I believe, in the um, it, with a first uh, supplemental first round pick. And supplemental. Yep. You know, he's he's been really good, um, was good out of the gate, out of the draft last year was good in Spokane, uh, which is an easy place to hit, fair enough, um, but played pretty well there. Earned the promotion, um, found the All-Star break, and just mashed. I mean, I saw him last week, and each game I saw him, home runs. Uh, I think he homered in the first three games of the series. He was playing center field, and he had Hunter Goodman in one uh, corner, and he had Yankeel Fernandez in the other corner, and he was making some plays. Because uh, as you can imagine – when you have those two guys as your corner guys um, in your center fielder, you're going to, you're going to have to cover about 75% of the outfield. So he did a good job of that. I was really impressed with how he moved out there. Um, I didn't view him as a center fielder, more as a good corner guy with a good arm. And uh, he showed like, Hey, I can play a little center field here too. Um, there's definitely swing and miss in the profile, but he does take his walks. Um, there's some approach, there's power, there's athleticism, there's tools. And there is a true defensive position. So he kind of checks all my boxes. Like I, I can get over a guy that maybe doesn't have um, average contact, that it's a little bit more fringy in the bats of ball department. If, you know, he's swinging at strikes when he does make contact, he hits the ball with impact and, you know, has the tools, athleticism, et cetera, to really support the profile um, and balance things out if he does go in and slump a little bit. So I like Beck a lot. Um, it's funny. Prior to my look, I obviously had Yen Keel pr- higher than Beck. I could see a case that Beck could be ranked higher than Yen Keel Fernandez simply because similar profiles, a lot of power. Um, Beck's hands aren't as special as Fernandez's are. Fernandez likes to swing it. Um, Beck is, you know, more conscientious of his approach and what he's swinging at. And he's a much better defender and runner and athlete. So, Kind of like I could see a case where, you know, maybe he's the number two prospect in the Rocky system behind Ed Amador. I I actually wrote up both these guys. And one of one of the things that I told folks is uh, Beck's profile. You see similar profiles in the lower minors and really, truly like that next step up uh, to double A is really kind of a um, eye opener, uh, whether that approach continues to be what it was in high A against better pitching while also maybe having that swing and miss uh, profile in you uh, less than an average hit tool. Uh, uh, there's, I would say that like guys that I see at that point are about 40, almost like at a 40% chance of like making it. And then when they get to double A and they show that they can maintain that approach, um, then you're, 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 more out to bank on them a bit. I, I think this is a great report on Beck because it answers my questions that I had in my report from Spokane looks on, uh, on video. Great report on him. Uh, Yankeel Fernandez is a guy that uh, just hits the living crap out of the ball. Uh, give us your lowdown after seeing him live. Sorry, you cut out there with the name. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, uh, it's Yankeel Fernandez. Oh, yeah, Yankeel. Yeah, yeah, Yankeel is one of these guys where it's like Oscar Colas, where he's like super aggressive, 
swinging at pitches and kind of gets by on the fact that he has really adjustable hands, like they're really loose. Um, he's somebody that first game I saw him, he gets fooled by a breaking ball during the swing adjusts and like powers the thing out to his pull side somehow and like almost puts it like it was a homer he almost put it out of Hartford um the only guys I've seen hit the ball out of Hartford are Vlad Guerrero Jr. Raphael Devers so he's kind of in good company there and that is great company yeah it's it's 70 raw power I had somebody internally question me on it and they were like you sure it's a seven and I was like yes like I don't know how you could watch that like, I don't need to talk to seven scouts to tell me that Yankeel Fernandez has 70 power. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, it's obvious to everybody with eyes and who is aware of the scouting scale at that game what his power grade was. Um, the approach is bad. He'll get fooled in and at bat on a pitch and then make adjustments. So it's one of those things where it's like, yes, he swings super aggressively. Yes, there isn't. He's a fine corner outfielder, but it's not like it's 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 not, you know, it's not floating the profile, right? It's the power, it's the adjustability, it's his hands, it's the fact that he can make some contact. So he's gonna swing and miss. There's gonna be some strikeouts. I think he's finally kind of running into that now. Probably some adjustments in terms of some of the pitches he swings at, but he's one of those guys where like he can get fooled on a breaking ball on pitch one, and then you try to throw him that same pitch again on pitch three. And then he, you know, he'll hit it down the line for a double. Like he's just, he just has really special hands and that sort of innate hand-eye coordination and just monstrous strength and power. He is just one of the stronger hitters that I've seen. All right, I'm going to throw something out, and you tell me what you think. Uh, two guys uh, that have very similar power uh, profiles, but very different approaches. Uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins and Yanquil Fernandez. Who are you? Who are you betting on being the the better player? Oh, um, I'm betting on Rodriguez. I, okay. I would bet on Rodriguez. I'm st- I never really got off of Rodriguez. I I don't mind the passive guys with crazy power like this. Um, you know, I think he started to swing a little bit more. That's a lot easier than. I think it's easier to tell somebody to swing it more strikes. <laughs> Than it is to tell someone <laughs> not to swing at pitches that they're getting fooled by that are a foot off. Right. Um, I generally think those guys, you know, work better. I know this is kind of the opposite of like what Bill James said in like his sort of books where he was like young hitters, you know, the skill is the contact and old hitters, you know, it's approach where I just buy into approach. Like I, I think you can teach that it gets better, but like it doesn't get much better. Javi Baez's swing decisions are not significantly better than they were seven, eight years ago. They weren't. (laughs) And I think pitchers are getting better and better about knowing how they can fool these guys just with, you know, um, game calling and, you know, on the game planning and and et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I I would I would still bet on Emmanuel Rodriguez myself. I've been down on Rodriguez this year and it's well documented. Um, I had that question asked to me as well, and that's why I asked it uh, uh, today to you because I, I'm still going with Rodriguez there. As much as uh, Fernandez's uh, power is tantalizing, his ability to adjust uh, that high swing rate and and the lack of a 
of an approach is, is, is very concerning with him. So uh, thank you for answering that question, throwing you on the spot there as well. Um, two, next, we're going to go with two Blue Jays prospects, and I'm going to start with the prospect I'm familiar with. I'm not familiar with the other one. Uh, it's a shortstop and now playing third base, uh, Orvelis Martinez. Uh, what have you seen out of Martinez this season? Yeah, or Elvis just got the just got the bump up to Triple uh, A last week. Um, you know, so he's what five games into his uh, his career now. His uh, his Triple A his Triple A <laughs> career. Um, yeah, and has played a has played a little bit of third base, but he's primarily been a shortstop. Even this year has primarily been a shortstop throughout his career. Um, I think if you got the Blue Jays, in an honest moment, they would probably tell you that they overassigned Martinez last year to Double A. Um, probably shouldn't have been there. Had some things to work on. Uh, it was a really weird year. Uh, he was 20 years old in the Eastern League. Um, he hit 203, 286, 446. He had 30 bombs though. That's 20 years old in Double A. And, you know, I think the approach that I saw last year, this guy was swing happy. He loved to swing, frankly. Um, you know, it was one of those things where he was rarely, pa- you know, was rarely passive, was really hyper aggressive. First couple pitches of an at bat, he would swing constantly. Um, was there some swing and miss in the zone? Like, yeah, there was definitely some swing and miss. But I mean, when you consider he hit 200. Um, his strikeout rate was below 30% as a 20 year old in double a with all this power. So I feel like his swing and miss has often been overstated from what it actually is. Cause here guy hit two Oh three with power in double a, be like, all right, yeah, he must've been, he must've been striking out 35% of the time. Right. Not the case. Right. This year, the organization challenged him. He had a tough first. If you look, it's 14 games. His first 14 games were awful. I think he hit a below 100. You know, his batting average on balls in play was like 110. I mean, it was like insane how unlucky he was over that first 15 games. After that, Orel was really locked in. And he started doing something that, you know, I personally hadn't seen from him. Having watched this guy, you know, 30 times last year. Um, I started to see traits that I, I hadn't seen prior to that. Um, so, you know, essentially what happened is he stopped swinging all the time. He started being more selective. He wasn't chasing re- rarely, if ever. The end zone whiffs still kind of there, but, you know, it was like maybe once every three swings, you might see a, you know, a whiff on something in the zone. but. When you're whiffing in the zone, that's already half the battle, right? You get three opportunities to swing and miss, right? Um, yeah. But the swing decisions, like, went through the roof. And I think people kind of miss this. So the numbers are good. You look at the underlying numbers are good. Since May 1st, so after that first 14, 15-game stretch, this is a stretch prior to his promotion. It's a 55-game stretch prior to his promotion of the AAA or Elvis hit 268, 390, 557. He had a 19.7% strikeout rate and a 15.8% walk rate as a 21-year-old in double A. Wow. I think that guy bounced back. I think that this guy showed 
significant progress. And there's some people I think that maybe look at the underlying numbers, like, oh, excuse me, look at the, the, the slash line of the overall season and don't put things into context or have written off this player because of what he did as a, as a 20 year old in double a, which by the way, he would have been draft eligible this year. This would have been his draft eligible spring. Like I, I, I if he was a college player, I'm trying to put that in perspective for people. Okay? Yes. So this is a guy that now has whatever, like 47 double a home runs, you know, before the draft more or less. Cause he didn't get promoted until, I mean, he got promoted on the 14th. So it was literally one game after the draft was like, he played one game. The next two got banged out. I was there for one of them. Um, I mean, this guy, I think, is getting really underrated in, in prospect circles. We got him back in the top 100. We have him in the back end of the 100, um, maybe like the last 25 guys. I think he's getting underrated, man. Like, And he can play in the dirt. Like, He's never not played in the dirt. And it's not like he's yeah. a big, heavy guy or anything like that. Um, this, to me, looks like a, a potential infielder with power. And if he ends up at third base or second base, could be one of the better power-hitting infielders in the game in five years um i just think when you look at age at level all the stuff he's doing the, the drastic improvement that we saw this year i mean it wasn't it really wasn't small it was it was drastic in terms of what he did um i'm kind of all in and even up in you know it's a five game sample um he hasn't hit the crap out of the ball or anything but his strikeout rate staying staying the same in triple a and he's going to get the benefit of the doubt there because of the challenge system and the you know, um, the automatic, you know, ball strike system, et cetera. So I'm interested in what happens with our Elvis. He's on the 40 man roster. This is a guy that could be up by the end of the summer, especially if there's an injury in that blue Jays outfield. Um, and I can't say he's going to have immediate success. There might be some growing pains, but I'm not going to run off a 21 year old. That's got like maybe some of the best power at the point of contact that I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, it's easy. 60 power might be more. And the hit tool has progressed significantly this year all right that's that's a um that's a great um great report on a guy that yes is definitely underranked if if those are um to believed i'm just kidding uh obviously <laughs> uh, obviously a guy that's underranked this year and he wasn't i mean he wasn't in my top 50 consideration this year um i have him internally ranked 86th right now um and that was kind of based off just some video looks it looks like mid-june that i did uh could have been could have been some some early june looks uh I, I try to log when i watch guys now uh so i can kind of remember points of the season where i uh where i was able to watch them on video um next guy is another blue uh blue jays prospect a guy that i don't really have much uh background with and that's chad day dallas uh who's a right-handed pitcher uh what what do you have on him yeah so dallas was a guy that was at tennessee a couple of years back um really challenged himself and got his body into great shape and he's seen his command and his stuff improve um I think based on pitch, like run values, it's one of the best breaking balls, his slider in the minor leagues. Um, really good slider. Uh, it's got some sweep, some power, um, mixes it with a four seam, but he's a slider first guy. Maybe he ends up as a reliever long-term. I um, think that's probably fine. The numbers have been good this year. He's performed really well. 
um, at, you know, at the double A level, uh, just, you know, I, I, an arm I like who has a really exceptional breaking ball that I've seen maybe two or three times. So I feel pretty confident in, you know, <laughs> what I've seen. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, let's go to a couple uh, more arms. Uh, Anthony uh, Solomedo from the Pirates, a uh, high round uh, pick a few years ago out of high school, right-handed pitcher. Uh, what have you seen from him? So I only got a couple of innings because it was a, sh a shortened game. Um, but it's a really unusual pitch mix. I don't, uh, excuse me, um, uh, 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 operation. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, low sidearm it's very madison bumgarner ish it's got like a stab in the yes, back yeah um but he does it fairly fluidly and he throws a fair amount of strikes and he's got a real change up he's got a nasty sweeper um and he's got a pretty good fastball too um in terms of shape and kind of you you know unique release characteristics all that sort of thing um good competitor i think he's six four very physically strong it's a good body um He's a guy that's moved quickly and there's a 2021 prep pick and this guy's already in double A and has made, you know, been there for a bit and performing. So kind of interested to see what happens with, with Solomedo, um, you know, over the, uh, over the next year. And if he's a guy that, you know, potentially is up in the big leagues at some point next summer, I, I don't think it'd be by the end of this year, but. Some point next summer, I mean, you know, six five lefties with you know strong builds don't grow on trees, and uh, he's been a pretty good one throughout the season. I think he's had a um, handful of starts now at at Double A, and has shown you know swing and miss, command, um, and you know kept runs off the board, which is the most important part. I love this. I have him listed as a right-handed pitcher, yet I'm watching video right now of him lefty. And have all, like that's what I envision. Like I think I just read off right-handed pitcher. Um, uh, that tells you how my life's going right now, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I, I I don't know. I guess I'm on uh, next three days, and then hopefully everything in my life calms down, and when I can start going back to like watching baseball again, which I I've so missed over the last week. Um, next pitcher we're going to cover is Chase Hampton from the Yankees. Uh, you saw him recently. I saw that on Twitter. Uh, and, and he's a guy that's had tremendous buzz this year, has really moved up prospect ranks, especially your uh, uh, top 10, uh, top 30 Yankee list this year. Uh, what were your thoughts on him? Yeah, um, you know, I think that Hampton is a guy that out of college ball has really grown. Um, he's got a good slider. He's got a good cutter too. That's kind of in between that, and then a, a forcing fastball with pretty good shape. Velocity's been down of late, but he's never thrown more than sixty innings in a season. And I think he was up to he's up to eighty something now. He went seven innings. Um, was really good for the first five. Uh, Julio Carreras ran into a ball and ended up you know putting it out, but very much was like a ran into a fastball kind of a swing. Um, Goes into the sixth inning and he had two outs. He had two strikes and he unkeeled Fernandez. Fernandez takes something off the handle that ends up dropping behind the third baseman right along the line in very shallow left field, which is kind of like if you could drop a ball anywhere in like anywhere on the field, <laughs> it's just about the best place to sort of have a ball drop. Um, I don't know what the batting average on balls and play in that particular zone is, but I bet it's like 
800 just because it's an area that like the third baseman, the shortstop, and you know the left fielder, if it doesn't hang up there for a significantly long period of time, it's probably going to be out of reach for everybody. Um, so the ball drops there, really bad luck on his part because he only needed one more strike to get out of the inning. Next pitch, he hangs a breaking ball, hang it, Beck bangs it, opposite field home run, boom. One pitch in, I think he threw a strike. Next pitch, hangs another breaking ball. Norman Bernabell crushes it. Settled in after that, came back out for the seventh, was really good there too. It was an overall good start. Beyond sort of three pitches maybe all game long, he looked really, really good. And somebody that, when you consider that this is like he's kind of dragging now as we're in like late July, um, you know, I think the consideration was like, all right, yeah, this guy is, this guy's pretty good. So yeah, really talented player. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Chase Hampton fan myself. What's your role projection for? I think he's a mid rotation guy. I think, I think he's, you know, potentially, I think he's a starter and potentially a mid rotation starter, especially as he gets physically stronger you know, the grind of the season is maybe a little bit less next year when he's already been through it. Um, you know, because we saw this guy sitting four to six early in the season and people were like, yeah, this is the Yankees best pitching prospect. And it's not, you know, not that close. Um, and I think yeah. he is, you know, I think he is. Oh, that's awesome here. Um, good. I know we have some other guys listed here, but I'm, I'm going to finish off with uh, kind of a sleeper dude, uh, a guy that I spoke about on, whatever episode it was that I, it was the first episode I saw live guys this year. And that's uh, Chase Medroff of the uh, Boston Red Sox. Uh, uh, what did, what did you see with him? Uh, I know he's a contact uh, approach type guy. Uh, is that kind of what you've seen in your, your looks of him? Yeah. And it's my draw, by the way, not, not my draw. Okay. It's actually my draw. Yes. Um, I was corrected by, and, and this is by the Portland announcer. I'm, very friendly with one of the girls that does the announcing there or, or women that does the announcing there. So um, she's young though. Like that's why I said girl, I feel bad that I just said girl. Um, but Riley's like a year out of like months out of college, like graduated this, this spring and I'm 41 years old. So she just seemed like, yeah, <laughs> but she is I, a I, very I, talented I, I, woman. So I wanted to make sure that I corrected myself after I said that, cause I felt bad when it came out of my mouth. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm 43, Jeff, and uh, I'm calling a 30 year old guy today a boy. So like, yeah, you know the boy, uh, he he's he's just uh, you know he's just not getting this. And I'm like, oh my god, this guy's a man who's married, and I'm calling him a boy. So 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 what were your thoughts on him? Um, so you know, I think he's an interesting player. Um, it's really good plate approach. He rarely expands the zone. I saw him on the Cape. He was a pre-draft Cape guy last year as well. So I got some history with, with my drop. I've seen him for two series now. Um, it's fine. Like I, I felt like, I feel like he is maybe underrated on some Red Sox rankings and then overrated within the fantasy community. Um, I agree. And, and this is not a shot at anyone. Um, I know that Dylan has him a lot higher than I would have had him on our 600, which is fine. There's varied opinions and there's a process there. And that's the reason that he's as high as he is. The lack of impact, which is something that I was concerned with, is very much coming to fruition right now. He okay. almost has a slugging percentage that's the same as his OVP. And I think Ugh. when you see this guy, he's very slight. It's a bad body. He takes his walks. He gets on base. You know, he's a great hitter. Like, you're talking contact skills, bat to ball, you know, taking what the pitcher gives you, going the opposite way, turning on it when you can. 
he can do all that. He's a very cerebral hitter. So I do think the numbers would probably be pretty good. I just don't know what the role is for this guy, man. Like, I don't know if this is an everyday regular. Um, you know, it feels like there's that, 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 that kind of line between, you know, like a guy like Tony Kemp and a guy like Max Schrock. Yeah. Remember when <laughs> Schrock was, you know, called a potential MVP candidate by, um, I think it was Carson Casilli on, 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 uh, or Castilli, whatever his name is on, uh, fan graphs. Like loved him, yeah. loved him. And models sometimes will love a guy like this with really good plate skills and he has good plate skills, but yeah. I don't know if the plate skills are outlierish enough that the lack it's going to outweigh the lack of impact. He's going to be anything more than a utility guy. Um, I, you know, I do think he's a major leaguer um, and there's something to be said for that. Um, and I don't think it's like zero power. It's just very much 40 power. And that in this day and age, you got to be a guy that can slug 450, I think, unless you are a burner and he's not a burner, mm-hmm. you know. So that's kind of my read on him. It's, it's, he's a tough one because it's like, I feel like if I stand up here and I say all the things I really like about him, I'm also negating all the things I don't like about the players in the profile. Yeah. And that's, and that's if I sit here and the negative stuff, people get obsessed with that. And it's like, oh, you're anti my or whatever. And it's like, no. I'm one of the few people that actually says his name right. Yeah. My Droth. <laughs> I can say it right now, too. My Droth, baby. My Droth, baby. I, I I put a roll four on him, and that's what I said in the on the podcast. I okay. thought that uh, maybe a second division starter, uh, utility infielder, yeah. utility player type deal, that's where I kind of was at. Yeah, I put a 45 on him, and I feel like that's accurate because he's kind of one of these guys where it's like this could be a role player. Or, like, if he does add impact and that comes along, he could be an everyday regular, like a good everyday regular, you know? And um, I would say I would, have put a roll, I would have put a roll four on, on Tony Kemp. What do you got on tap, Jeff, uh, coming up? Oh, man. Well, we just <laughs> – I want to take a break. <laughs> we've been um, – <laughs> We've been uh, we've been updating our top 30, so all those are up on the site uh, as of yesterday. Um, so every team has been updated now. We're going to be dumping in the draftees, I think, today into these rankings or tomorrow. So those are going to be coming nice. quickly. Um, prior to the trade deadline, I think all you know, I really pushed. That. I was like, hey, because it's a signing deadline, we don't know if everyone's going to sign. I would much rather that we, you know, update these 30s without draftees and then dump the draftees in. And then when the trade deadline happens, we have all these extra reports for players that could potentially A, be traded or B, guys that can replace players who are traded. So um, we'll be updating those up uh, again. Um, You know, I have a couple of draftee articles I'm working on on Cape Cod League stuff. You know, we'll continue to roll over the next few weeks probably culminating at the end of August with a, a full top 50 again. Uh, that would be the work of me and Peter Flaherty. Got a bunch of video to cut still. Just trying to catch up, man. Get sleep when I can. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm like literally, uh, as people know, my my day job is a property appraiser uh, and with a te- in a tax assessor's office. So uh, we've sent notices. You can guess it's it's the last week of notices. So uh, I'll be happy to get to uh, focus on baseball uh, a little more. Uh, but I, I'm going to a game tonight. I'm going to go see uh, the Montgomery Biscuits versus the Chattanooga Lookouts. I'm also going to go out there on Friday to see the same team. 
Uh, I'm going to see guys like Junior Caminero, uh, Cole Wilcox, uh, a personal favorite of mine, not a big pro- uh, prospect guy, uh, but Logan Workman, a guy that I do believe is a major league arm. Uh, uh, so I'm really excited to go see them. Uh, both uh, Cole Wilcox and Logan Workman are guys that I covered as amateur prospects for organizations. Actually went to, I think, 10 of Cole Wilcox's 2018 uh, draft year scout, uh, the draft year um, uh, senior year high school starts. Uh, that's how interested the team that I was uh, helping was uh, in Wilcox that year. Uh, and I, I actually happened to come across uh, Logan Workman, who is from Lee University, uh, by accident. 2019 was just the guy was there covering another team. Uh, and this kid came in in the ninth inning and was much better than anybody else that I was covering at the time uh, in a D2 school. Probably the best D2 pitcher I've seen. So really excited to see those guys tonight. Um, well, Jeff, thank you for coming on to the Baseball HQ uh, Ice Habit podcast. Thank you, everybody else, for joining us for this uh, this episode. I apologize that it's later in the week than normal. Uh, we'll be back to our regular schedule next week with Brent. Uh, on Monday recording, so you'll get this in your your box on Tuesday morning. Uh, this podcast uh, will obviously be a Thursday, so when you guys uh, listen to this on Thursday, you'll only have a few days before uh, this podcast, the next podcast, will air. Uh, we'll likely tackle my live looks from this week's games. Uh, I think Brent's bringing some, some looks as well, so it will be a really good episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the Eyes Have It at BaseballHQ.com or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at C underscore Blessing. If you're a first-time listener to the Eyes Have It pod, click subscribe to get a, our future rank, uh, future episodes. I said, I, I just almost made a mistake there. Um, please rank us as mu- as well and, and spread the word about us uh, too. Um, Jeff? I hope you have a great rest of your week and weekend. I hope you're able to get caught up and rested for the trade deadline. Thank you. I'm excited for that. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, it, uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. It's easy article content, uh, the trade deadline. So I, I love that. <laughs> um, may everyone else have a great week, and I'll see you again, uh, or, well, you'll hear me again on Tuesday. Thanks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.